Hi friends, and welcome back to Professor Pastor Paul's Midweek Bible Festival. Welcome, welcome. It's the third week of Lent already in our passage. This week is Psalm 19, the whole thing. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are true, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, warned, pardon me, warned. In keeping them there is great reward, but who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Came back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In his dark and brooding novel, Blood Meridian, Cormac McCarthy writes a conversation between two wanderers who meet in the high Mexican desert. Tobin is an ex-priest, and he speaks to the enigmatic but central character known only as the Kid. Let it go how it will, Tobin said. God speaks in the least of creatures. God speaks in the least of creatures. No man is give leave of that voice. The kid spat into the fire and bent to his work. I ain't heard no voice, he said. Well, when it stops, replied Tobin, you'll know you've heard it all your life. God, says Tobin, speaks through the least of creatures in a voice heard by all. God speaks through creatures in a voice heard by all. This is quite the theological statement, particular in its mention of the least of creatures, universal in its scope. Does God speak through creatures? Does God speak through creation? Yes, the psalmist says, and that voice is one we have all heard, whether or not 
We know that we've heard it. So this week, for a change, we're leaving the Gospels behind. On Sunday, David will address our Gospel reading, which tells of Jesus' cleansing of the temple. For now, let us sit back and consider this psalm, a hymn to God, the Creator and the Lawgiver. And we will focus only on the first ten verses. Verses 1 through 6 emphasize the wisdom of God as evidenced in creation, the wisdom of God. The heavens are telling of God's glory, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there any words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world says the psalmist, sings the psalmist, I should say. So, there is declaration, there is proclamation, there is speech, there is a voice, and there are words to the end of the world. Yet, at the same time, there is no speech, and there is no voice, and there are no words. How can this be? A riddle, it seems, has been posed to us by David, the traditional author of this hymn. I believe we all know the answer to this riddle, especially those of us who sense a deep attraction to and kinship with the created world. God speaks to us through creatures, through creation, in a language that needs no tongue and no interpreter to understand. And this speech never ceases, not for a day, not for a night, not for a minute. Ralph Waldo Emerson understood this, but he used a different metaphor. Nothing is rich but the inexhaustible wealth of nature, he wrote, or we might say of creation. She shows us only surfaces, but she is a million fathoms deep. Creation shows us only surfaces, but is a million fathoms deep. The psalmist looks to the heavens as an example, and it is an excellent one. As someone who has spent some time learning about the night sky, I can say that I have, upon gazing skyward, heard this very same voiceless voice. And, as Emerson suggested, it comes from an unimaginable depth. God has given us the gift of this cosmos, one we will never get to the bottom of, and I do not understand those who say that our great knowledge of creation precludes the reality of a creator. But if the heavens are speaking as the psalmist says they do, and as I say they do, what do they say? They tell us that beauty is a mark of God. And beauty, as Sister Wendy Beckett reminds us, is not a pretty word. Beauty is not a pretty word. It is a strong word. The beauty of the heavens themselves, rather the beauty of the heavens, like the heavens themselves, is not shallow or cheap, but it runs deep and rich and compounds as it goes. Beauty, strong and utterly real, is a mark of God. The heavens say more. They tell us that God is real, but utterly transcends our greatest thoughts. They say that God is interested in more than just us human beings. The heavens tell us that God is orderly, but also wildly, 
fabulously creative. They say that the cosmos proclaims knowledge suggested to at least this one who is trained in science, suggestive of laws that the author of Psalm 19 could not have guessed. Now the theme of creation continues, but in verses 5 and 6, a new variation arises. To us in the 21st century, this new variation is largely hidden, but it is nonetheless present in verses 5 and 6. Let me explain. The psalm in these verses describes the sun and its course through the daytime sky. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy, etc., etc. Two verses on the sun. This remarkable piece of writing almost certainly had its inspiration in the broader context of the ancient Near East, a context in which the sun was considered to be the god of law and justice. The sun was considered to be the law, the god of law and justice. Now, this is not to say that David or the author considers the sun to be a god. One of the most interesting things about the ancient Israelites was that they did not consider the rivers and the moon and the stars and sun to be gods, just lights. The inter the, the, what the author says is that the connection, what I'm trying to say, is that the connection between the sun and the law and justice, which is coming up, was in the air at the time, so to speak. And the author of Psalm 19 certainly breathed that air, and so it shows up here. The idea that there's a connection between the sun and the law and justice. Why am I speaking of law and justice? Well, that brings us to the second section of this passage, verses 7 through 10, in which the author's focus switches explicitly from the book of creation to the book of the law. At this point, he goes full wisdom literature on us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple, he writes, sounding exactly like something from Proverbs. Proverbs, of course, is one of the three major wisdom literature books of the Bible. Proverbs, the great storehouse of traditional wisdom, sounds a lot like something from that. He even gives a nod an important nod to the fear of the Lord, perhaps the most prominent theme in the whole book of Proverbs. Now this law, he praises God's law, right? The law of the Lord is perfect. This law, praised by the psalmist as perfect and life-giving, is of course the Ten Commandments plus all the additional laws of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In fact, another one of the Old Testament readings comes from Exodus when Moses is given the law for this week in Lent. That's another one of our readings for the week. That law, the Ten Commandments, and all the laws written in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy is a roadmap for creating a good and useful and beautiful and righteous life. It tells you how to live. It tells us how to live. A beautiful and righteous life. Now, righteousness... It's just a stained glass word for justice. They mean the same thing. So the songwriter is weaving together here 
listen closely, the songwriter, the psalmist, is weaving together a complete picture of human life, individual and communal, based on the law, within a cosmos held together with stitches of truth and wisdom. It's an overall global cosmic picture. The law is not just words written in an old book, and wisdom is not just good advice or pithy two-liners. Righteousness is not just something people achieve like a diploma. The law and wisdom and righteousness and justice are alive. They are realer than real. They're cosmic. They are features of the universe, attributes of God folded into the fabric of creation itself. The law and wisdom and justice are folded into the fabric of creation itself. We didn't invent them. They are attributes of God. Now, by holding up creation and this 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 Psalm 19 holds up in one hand creation and the other hand scripture and brings them together into a single hymn. By so doing, the author of Psalm 19 sews creation and scripture into a single cosmic tapestry called wisdom. God calls us, God calls you and me and us to stitch our own lives into this single cosmic tapestry, to take part in it, to become part of it, and that only happens through wisdom, through following the law. There's a unity and coherence to this view, at once particular and universal, that attracts us and helps us draw together all the seemingly disparate elements of our often fragmented worlds. This is a unified cosmic vision. Scripture and creation are both features of the same tapestry. And they fit together. Now what does this have to do with Lent? Well, Lent is about individual and communal reflection. It's about seeing ourselves clearly. It's about repentance. It's about moral seriousness. And it's about drawing near to God. All these are essential at Lent. Because as we walk with Jesus down the road to Jerusalem, we have no option but to draw near to God and to allow God to draw near to us, for there is no other way to follow where Jesus is taking us. So my prayer for you is that this week you will hear the voiceless voice speaking through creation. And that you will hear God speak through scripture. And that you will recognize these two voices as one. And I pray that this recognition and this knowledge will give you hope and strength as we follow Jesus on the way. Amen. See you next week, dear ones.